Use locums to combat burnout and live the life of your dreams. Sounds easy, doesn't it? While it might not be an easy transition, the benefits of using locums to combat burnout is. So stick around and find out more. Residency can be such a letdown when it comes to building your financial foundation, but it truly doesn't have to be that way. If you're a physician wanting to take control over your financial future and take back the freedom you deserve, come hang out with this money nerd. No long hours or sleepless nights. Just you, me, and the Financial Residency Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Inman, and welcome back to the show. Thank you so much for being here. So you've all heard about locums, and maybe you've even considered working locums yourself. Why and how can it work in your favor? Well, there's several ways, about burnout, financial independence, and even living an ideal life, or just to name a few. And my next guest, Dr. Andrew Wilner, author of The Locum Life, A Physician's Guide to Locum Tenens, cracked the code, so to speak, on living a successful and burnout-resistant life with locums. He got a personal experience in making locums work for him based on his need to continue practicing neurology while also being able to write and spend time with his family. With his supplemental income source, he was able to carve out the type of life you might be dreaming of right now. Sounds pretty great. Before we jump in the show, though, I want to talk about something that I'm super pumped about. It's the newest addition to the content collection. Sounds fancy when I say it that way, which is my first book. Taylor and I are writing a book and it is coming out on January 15th and you will be able to find it on Amazon. But before then, you will be able to pre-order the book on our website, financialresidency.com slash book. And there are some pretty awesome perks for pre-ordering, which include a discount price, signed copies, and potentially one-on-one coaching sessions with me, and honestly, a ton more stuff. So check out financialresidency.com slash book as we're getting closer to the launch date. And like I said, I am so excited to be doing this. It's really a dream come true to write a book, especially with my wife. And I'm hoping that all of you will come check it out. I haven't really talked much publicly on the book other than, hey, I'm writing a book. But I will tell you this, if you read it cover to cover, it will help you in creating your own financial plan. Seriously, not bad for 25 bucks, you'll be able to create your own financial plan. And there's going to be templates that will help you while you're reading the book And they're going to help you put things into perspective and in terms that you understand. And just like this podcast, I break down all the financial industry jargon and deliver it in a manner that you not only will understand, but be able to start implementing right away. So tons more details to come. Stay tuned. We are super excited to actually release this on January 15th. So back to the show, Andrew will be sharing what you need to know about locums in order to make it work for you and your ideal life. So let's jump in and hang out with Andrew. Andrew, thank you so much for being on the show. We've been playing uh, email tag for a bit here, but I am thrilled to have you on talking about locums today. Oh, thanks very much. It's my pleasure. Oh, it's going to be so fun. So we've done a show before on kind of the high level overview of locums. And we've got some shows coming around some unique ways to use locums to, let's say, pay off student debt. 
but you have kind of a different message that I really like, and it's talking about locums and how that helps combat burnout. And I'm wondering if you could just start, hit the ground running with how does locums prevent burnout or at least combat it? You know, it's kind of funny that I've become an expert on uh, locums. I think it's an accident because uh, it was never my my goal and I never really knew much about locums. But in my own pursuit of uh, work-life balance, I discovered that locums is just an amazing tool. When I looked at my career, I saw that it goes all the way back to 1982 I'm uh, I've always been a writer. And so when you you know, when you're an artist of some sort, a painter or a dancer, a musician, you're always battling to find time for your passion along with your profession. And so work life balance has been an issue with me uh, ever since I can remember. And I remember during my internship, I just said to myself, oh, wow, this is going to be tough. You know, no, no work hour restrictions those days. So I said to myself, well, don't worry about your writing while you're an intern. Just go flat out and make sure you survive your internship year and you know get promoted to, to the next year. So that's what I did. I was at the Long Beach VA and it was uh, pretty brutal. You know, the first day I didn't go to the hospital was Christmas Day. So uh, we started uh, July 1. So every day you went and you're on call and all that. In the meantime, all my writing is percolating in my head, but I never sit down to do it. So I thought, you know, I need to do it. It's something I need to do. So I asked for a leave of absence and I went to work in an emergency room for a year, three 12-hour overnight shifts, and I wrote a book. And I didn't realize it at the time, but that was really the first time I used locums for work-life balance. That was my introduction. And it, and subsequently, over the next, uh, I guess it's been almost 40 years now, it's come up several times where it's been an amazing tool for me to allow me to write and also pursue uh, other passions like scuba diving and travel uh, without sacrificing uh, income, frankly. We'll talk about this probably towards the end here of one of the books you've written is The Locum Life, A Physician's Guide to Locum Tenens. And uh, I actually dove through the book, even though I'm not a physician, I always like to prep for the interviews. And it was a, an amazing book. And we'll make sure that we link to it in, in the show notes and everything. But you mentioned, you know, it, it allowed you to kind of live a work-life balance and physicians are just notorious for not having that. It's, it, you know, it's the blinders on just getting through training, whether it's, you know, residency and fellowship or just through residency, starting their careers. And they don't really stop and think like, huh, what do I really want to do in life? And I, I noticed this through a lot of the life planning pieces that we put together. I mentioned on the show quite a bit, but in your story, how are you able to kind of work that work-life balance in and, and figuring out how the ins and outs of locums really worked for you? After I finished all of my training, and I did two residencies and a fellowship in internal medicine, neurology, and epilepsy, I went, you know, and did a conventional neurology job. Mm -hmm. But after about eight years, I felt like I'd kind of, you know, plateaued. I wasn't really learning new things. I did have time to write, but not much. And when I tried to get more time, you know, instead of working 60 hours a week, cut it down to 40, my partners really were not very sympathetic. And I found that my system, as it is with many group practices, not really that flexible. 
So I decided I would become an academic physician because, you know, academics has a reputation anyway for being a little less demanding. So I took an academic job and it was a disaster. Didn't work out. I left that job and all of a sudden I didn't have a job. So I had to kind of uh, rebuild my career and decide what I wanted to do. They were perfectly happy to take me back at my old job, but I had already left that job for a reason. So I started floundering around and ultimately I discovered that I could continue my my dedication and passion for neurology, but it didn't have to be in a traditional office setting, that there was this thing called locum tenens where you could work a week or a month or six months or even a year without the unstated expectation that you're always going to be there. In fact, with the stated expectation that this is a finite commitment. And all of a sudden that had great appeal to me because I realized I could work as a neurologist, what I love to do, that I could even choose what kind of neurology I like to do. For example, I like inpatient neurology, neurohospitalist work. Uh, clinic, I, I do it, but it's, I, it's definitely a secondary preference. So I could find locum tenens physicians where all I had to do was be neurohospitalist. So I could get to do exactly what I wanted to do. And then when I didn't want to do it, I didn't have to do it. So I started working about six months a year as a locums and traveling six months a year, mostly to uh, the Philippines. I had learned to scuba dive when I was in high school. It was something I loved to do, also photography. But as a medical student, internal medicine resident, neurology resident, fellow, a young physician starting his practice, you know, scuba diving was just way down the list of things that I would ever have uh, time for. I'd get to go maybe one week a year or every two years. But all of a sudden now I had six months. So I'd fly to the Philippines, rent an apartment, start writing another book. And uh, the you can <laughs> you can dive just about off any beach there and it's a uh, paradise. So I learned how to become an underwater photographer, and I won some competitions with my underwater films. Oh, wow. And all of a sudden, I had work-life balance. Imagine that. I love the honesty here. You were trying to find your way. You're learning on the fly. You're finding yourself and being able to find what you love to do. And even the type of specialty work that you enjoy doing is just amazing. I want people to to really understand and think about that for a second. Like you started your practice, you granted, you probably didn't have the student debt that physicians are coming out with now, but still that didn't stop you. You, you were able to go plan and, and be able to, to really pivot and find where you're going. And we, we talked about plan and, and uh, pause plan and pivot with Bill Ute on one of our previous shows which is, uh, I, I still love what he's got there. And it, it really applies here because who gets to work six months and then take six months off doing all this amazing stuff that you're, you're doing. Did you find that when you did this type of structuring of your life that the compensation compared to what you were previously doing? Well, I want to say something first that kind of didn't get oh, expressed of in my story 
is that I didn't get any support for this at all. <laughs> I didn't I, I have think any role models. And very relevant. I talked to thought I was crazy. There wasn't a model for this. Work-life balance was still kind of a new thing. I mean, when I trained, you didn't mention work-life balance. That meant you weren't serious and you weren't dedicated. I met a lot of resistance, and it's only because I'm probably genetically pretty stubborn that I actually was able to uh, succeed to do it and even try it. And I was uh, quite pleased that I did, but I certainly didn't get much help. And there, I didn't have any role models. I didn't know any physicians that did that. And, and that's one of the reasons I wanted to do this podcast with you. I think doctors really need to know that there are options there. I've listened to a lot of podcasts on non-clinical careers. You know, there are, there are all these doctors who are just stuck and unhappy. And they say, well, maybe if I was some sort of administrator, I'd have, you know, better work-life balance. But they don't really want to leave clinical medicine. And, and one of my big messages uh, about locums is you don't have to leave clinical medicine to, to achieve work-life balance, that you can keep doing what you love to do and care for patients and not be stuck in a rut. Yeah, I, I love that, that there are options out there. Because sometimes you, I mean, you go through training and all these things, you start your career and you feel like, oh boy, I'm, you know, maybe I made the wrong decision, right? And, and may, you, know, you feel stuck. And you can definitely feel stuck if you went and you know, bought the Teslas and the, the, the big doctor house, the huge mortgage, and you didn't pay off your debts and you made some financial mistakes, you could feel really stuck. But at least this is a different potential career path that you could go while still practicing the medicine you like. And even in your case, you know, the type of work that, you know, even subspecialized within uh, what you're doing uh, is, is just fascinating. You asked about compensation. Yes. So the way locums usually works is you're paid on an hourly wage. You can earn kind of as much as you want to earn depending on how much you want to work. Mm -hmm. And the six months a year was enough to get me by. And I'm, uh, I probably wouldn't qualify as the most frugal physician. Um, I know there's a lot of sort of experts on frugality out there, but I try and keep a modest uh, lifestyle. So six months was enough to get me through the year and also to allow me to uh, put in a reasonable uh, uh, retirement uh, contribution to my uh, self-employed 401k. I was pretty, pretty content with that. For the record, I'll say that one year that I worked locums, this was kind of funny, I made more money than I had ever made ever in, in any full-time position because of the hourly structure. They were paying me for a lot of hours. The irony was I was earning more than the full-time neurologists that I was working next to who were employed by the same organization. But because of my temporary status, I was actually earning significantly more, even if you included their benefits and, and so on that I wasn't receiving. Locums doesn't necessarily mean a cut in salary. And I think if you have, you know, if you have the ideal practice, you know, if you live in Beverly Hills and you own your practice and you're incredibly busy and you've got an x-ray suite and, uh, you know, you just have everything working perfectly, nothing can compete with that. That's the best deal for sure. So you're never going to do better than that. 
But uh, as of 2016, more than 50% of physicians in the U.S. were employees. That kind of model where I'm going to own my building and my practice and have a few outreach things and really do well is shrinking. It's still possible. So I wouldn't compare that to locums. But compared to sort of your average guy, uh, locums uh, can be a pretty good alternative because it puts you in control of your schedule. I think that's the beauty of it. All of a sudden, you may work the same or even more. But everybody who's self-employed knows that, you know, when you're working for yourself, just feels a whole lot better, even if you're working harder (laughs) than if you're working doing the same work for someone else. You know, it's one of those weird psychological things. Oh, yeah. And from like a non-physician perspective, a little bit on working for yourself, you know, being an entrepreneur, we're like the people that would rather work 60 or 70 hours so we don't work 40 hours for the quote unquote man, right? So you work really hard, you do all this. And I actually think the same thing is with locums because when Taylor went and took her position, she did like one week on, three weeks off. And it worked out really well for a while. She had to travel. And the reason why she really stopped is because of the, the the kids started to notice that she was gone. It made it a lot tougher for her to leave. But the hourly rate that she negotiated directly with the hospital didn't go through kind of a, a middleman, if you will, a recruiter. And I, I think we should talk a little bit on that um, in a second. Sure. But that that if she actually was able to take that and work more than one week, say, you know, was in the same city and she was able to do, let's say two weeks a month, like she probably would have been making about the same amount that she'd make full time if she was just hired that way. So while it is not completely common that you would make more money, uh, it's definitely not super rare that, you know, yours is just one isolated case with that. And I've talked to a lot of locum tenens uh, physicians. I interviewed a number of them for my book, you know, Tell Me Your Locum Stories. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's chapter 20. It's a fun chapter to read, you know, your best experience, your worst experience. I didn't talk to any who whose primary goal was to make more money. Everybody was really trying to find this work-life balance. And, you know, some people even said, you know, I'm definitely making less money now than I was before, but I'm so much happier. You know, I have time to go fishing and I have time to go to my kid's school and I can just do what I want and I enjoy medicine again. And somehow the fact that they're making less money doesn't really seem to be a problem. It doesn't have to be that way, but I think most people that seek out locums aren't, although there are exceptions. I mean, it can be sort of a get-rich-quick scheme if you're willing. I met one locums doctor. She worked 365 days a year. You know, she would finish one assignment on you know July 31, and on August 1, she was in another city starting the next morning. You know, she just wanted to maximize uh, her uh, compensation, and mm-hmm. that's everybody's happy with that. You know, yeah, I mean, that's what she wanted to do. It makes perfect sense if that's, you know, and you've got the flip side, you know, there's for one person doing one thing, there's always a polar opposite. And there's someone that's like, I just want to work, you know, a total of three months a year. And that's enough money for me to live off for the whole year and not have to work very hard and get to do all the, the fun stuff. I mean, it, it makes sense. So, you know, I wouldn't want to do that and I wouldn't want my wife to do that, but well, the other Everyone's thing is, different. is it evolves with you, just like your wife. She was doing this one week a month and it was great. But then life circumstances changed. The kids got a little older and said, hey, where's mom? OK, so she'll come home and she'll do something else. You know, when the kids go off to college, she might want to go the two weeks a month 
And uh, then you guys can uh, or you know, more. retire with a much larger yacht. She might so, realize she might realize that it's just me at home, and then she wants to be gone a lot more. You never know. <laughs> See how that works when we get there. That's uh, you know it's flexible, so you can as your priorities change. You're the one who directs it, and the beauty of locums right now is that there are far more opportunities than there are physicians. So it's really a buyer's market. If you are a locum tenants physician, it's not like you're going to sit at home for weeks waiting for the phone to ring. There's a lot of opportunities. And uh, we can talk about agencies if you want. Yeah, I was, I was uh, saying I was, I was happy you were going to bring that up because I think part of the issue around locums is the perception of, well, I need to go find a recruiter. And then when I do that, then they're going to want all this info and then they're going to shop me around and then give out my info everywhere. And some will, but there's some really good ones that, that won't do that. But also you can negotiate directly with the hospital and actually pick up the phone and try to figure it out. But I'm curious, you know, what, what are your thoughts on this? You know, with so many opportunities available, you know, what are maybe a tip or two that you can give physicians listening a leg up? Well, the end result is that about 80% of physicians who do locums use an agency. So that's kind of the way it sorts itself out. And I think for a new locums doctor, it might be easier. Mm -hmm. It really depends on the person the easiest thing to do is if you're interested in trying locums is that you just put your ear to the ground and listen for opportunities in your own community. And somebody might be on maternity leave. There's a practice that's growing. You know, you have to check wherever you're currently working that you don't have a non-compete so you don't get into trouble. But uh, maybe you want to take a week vacation and just give it a try. And if you can negotiate directly, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And I've, I've done it both ways. But I liken it to buying and selling a house. There are these agents, right? Real estate agents, they'll help you buy a house or help you sell a house. You don't really need one, right? I mean, how hard is it to sell a house or buy one? You just mm -hmm. go and you give the money and you're done. But it turns out that there's a lot of subtleties and like, oh, did you remember you got to get it inspected, <laughs> you know, yep. stuff that they know because they do it all the time. So is that worth their, you know, their percentage? Well, you know, that's for you to decide. But it certainly if you've never bought a house before, it's a little daunting to go read all the books and just sort of jump out there on on your own agencies, and there are many, there's over a hundred, and I list uh, many in my book, there is an, an association called the National Association of Locum Tenants Organization, NALTO. And, and respectable, most respectable agencies are members. And if you're a NALTO member, you're not supposed to give out doctor's information to a potential client unless that doctor agrees to it. You know, there are, there are some rules about how things are done. Mm -hmm. I think there are good agencies that aren't NALTO members also, but that's a reasonable place to check out their website and, and start. Perfect. Yeah, I'll make sure we link to that in the, in the show notes here. One of the other things I hear a lot as we talk through hundreds of, we talk to hundreds of physicians all the time, the main questions that they have is around malpractice and their potential litigations and setting all this stuff up and how do they figure out their tail coverages and all that? Do you have any thoughts or tips on, on how they can kind of navigate that 
honestly, right. minefield. So I, I did look into that. In fact, it, it is a complex subject to the extent that it ended up being two chapters of the book because, you know, everybody's situation is uh, different uh, also. Of course. The, fr- the primary thing is, that, let's suppose you already have a job and you want to do locums on the side, which is a, is a common uh, scenario. Mm-hmm. The malpractice that you have is not sufficient. It does not cover your locum. So if you're going to do locums, you need malpractice for that. If you're doing it on your own, that's something you got to inquire. If you're doing it with one of the major agencies like Comp Health or Staff Care, they will provide the malpractice that is required for the, your state. You know, states require like car insurance, you know, you got to be insured, right? So if you're going to work as a physician, the states have minimums, usually one million per occurrence, three million for the for the contract. So they'll give you this one million, three million malpractice policy that covers you during your assignment. The tail you mentioned, that's what covers you. You know, if there's a suit five years later, you're mm-hmm. not there anymore. So the tail, and again, the major agencies will add a tail to their uh, what's called claims made policy. It really ends up not being too complicated. You talk to your agent, you get set up, you say, do you have malpractice? Send me the sheet. They send you a sheet. It shows, you know, what your coverage is. And then, you know, you try and stay out of trouble. So I, I talk about that a little bit. As a Locum tenants, physicians, I researched this, do not have an increase in malpractice suits. So that was great. But I, I would issue just a warning that because you're bouncing around and going to a new place where you don't know the, your colleagues, they don't know you, you're probably at a slightly greater risk for making an error. I think that you just need to be, I just, you know, recommend uh, showing up early and getting a good night's sleep, you know, making sure that you're diplomatic at this new place, just the way, you know, you should anyway. But uh, you you want to make sure you're doing a good job and you don't subject yourself to the malpractice situation in the first place. I, I love that. You know, I as we were kind of talking here, one of the thoughts that kind of popped in my head was, you've done this for a while. And I'm curious if, does the value of locums change depending on where you're at in your career? Oh, absolutely. And in fact, I wrote about that too, because there's a locums post-residency, locums mid-career, and then locums, what I call pre-retirement. Each of those sort of three categories of, you know, phases of life have their own reasons where you might want to do locums. For example, post-residency, I teach residents in my current position. And, you know, some of the residents know exactly what they want to do, but a lot of them don't. When they finish residency, if they want to do locums for a year or two, they can test out geography. Hey, I always wanted to work in California. I'll take that locums there or Portland, Oregon, or, you know, someplace they've never been or Florida or New York City. And, I, you know, I don't know if I really want to be a neuro hospitalist or a clinic or both or be in a big group or a small group or work for Kaiser or whatever it is. They can experiment. So without making a commitment, because taking that first job out of residency or fellowship, well, 
like a lot of marriages, about half of those jobs don't end up being permanent, even though they're supposedly permanent jobs, people move on for one reason or another. So locums is a nice way to sort of experiment. It's also a way to kind of match your schedule. A lot of residents have uh, significant others who may be at a slightly different stage of their career. So they got to wait a year for the other one to catch up. So rather than take a permanent job while the other one, you know what I mean? You can do locums mm -hmm. and sort of stall for a while and sort of then both uh, synchronize. That's the funny. The caveat for residents is that you got to make sure you're confident in your skills. Mm -hmm. uh, and some residents are, and some residents really need some sort of post-graduation uh, supervision just because of, you know, their own personalities and the way they, they handle themselves. And they need, and so you need to do some introspection, you know, are you happy being the neuro hospitalist in a 300 bed community hospital, you know, in Iowa, <laughs> you know, with nobody to sort of run cases by, that would be the only caveat for residents. And some of the, some of the, uh, People I interviewed uh, also mentioned that. And then I've also interviewed residents who did exactly that and just thought it was the greatest thing in the world. Yeah, it's, it's funny that you mentioned that because we've actually coached not one but two clients through this where they were both physicians and one was one year ahead of the other. And it was like, well, what do we do? I need a job. I need to figure this out. And, and it was like, you know, we're analyzing the compensation structures of some of the locums work that they were looking at doing versus taking a full-time job that might have had them commute further or knowing that it would only be there for a year. Yeah, it's it's funny. That's way more common, I think, than even we might think. You know, and I really think it's great because when you take a full-time job, the people hiring you are making a big investment in uh, time and money to bring you on, onboarding and all of that and IDs and, uh, you know, the long-range planning. And so if you leave after a year, they're not that happy, even if everything was great. You just say, oh, you know, I just want to do something different now. I mean, nobody's going to say no, but it's a whole lot easier to do locums for that year without any expectation that you're going to continue if you already know you're not going to continue. I think uh, that it, it's a wonderful tool at that stage. You know, for mid-career guys, it's the Tesla, you know, or a kid's school or mortgage or just digging out of some uh, illness or unexpected expenses. I mean, there are so many things that can happen. <laughs> you know more about oh, this yeah. than me. That can mess up your long-term financial planning that uh, bringing in a few extra thousand dollars during vacation time. Uh, might make a big difference in just how well you sleep at night. Mid-career, and it's also, a lot of mid-career guys are thinking about changing a career. It's like, you know, I've always wanted to own a restaurant, you know, or just mm -hmm. something dramatically different. And so locums is a way to, uh, we call, to, we use the word bridge, you know, to bridge your professional medical career into something completely different or to maintain your medical identity, to continue working. And if the restaurant doesn't work out, you know, you just sort of go just pick up where you left off and uh, you haven't separated yourself from that profession that you were good at and knew well. So it's a way to, to protect yourself as you uh, sort of explore other options in midlife. And while, while you have a regular income, and I'll also mention one sort of related 
piece that I learned the hard way, and it's a long story, but you cannot stop practicing clinical medicine for more than two years. Because if you do, it is almost impossible to get malpractice insurers to insure you, and you're out of work. You cannot get back. And no one knows this. You know, the doctors think, well, I'll keep my CME up and I'll renew my license and I'm going to take two years off and raise my kids or sail around the world or, you know, climb Mount Kilimanjaro and I'll get back and I'll get another job. You cannot. You will not be allowed. Even you, even as a locums doctor, it's just a rule. You need a recommend, two recommendations from your peers who have observed your clinical work in the last two years. And if you have no clinical work in the last two years, you can't get those recommendations and you are stuck. Yeah, that's excellent advice. But if you one or two weeks of locums while you're raising your kids or, you know, sailing around the world, then the clock resets and you're fine. That's something you got to know. So if you want to, you know, take time off from clinical medicine, that's that's fine. But locums allows you to to sort of reset the clock so you, so you don't get stuck. You know, there are these physician reentry programs. In fact, there's a famous one in San Diego for doctors who have had issues like this. And it is very, very difficult and expensive and time consuming and not even always possible to get back into practice. So lastly, there's the pre-retirement guys. And, you know, a lot of doctors have dedicated their lives 100 percent, you know, except maybe for a day of golf here and there to being doctors. And now they're 65, they're 70. You know, they're slowing down a little bit, but they love what they do. But where they work is expecting, you know, the same productivity that they were doing when they were 40, the same on call. Many organizations do not allow physicians to cut back 20%. It's usually an all or nothing. Or the half-time, part-time that's available is somehow not really uh, a respectable option. In other words, half-time hours ends up being less than half-time pay. You're not taking seriously anymore in the organization because you're really not there all the time. And it's not always a, an acceptable uh, option. And I found out this myself when I tried to cut back years ago to do some writing, you know, just to take an afternoon off. You know, I needed an extra morning a week where I could really start making some headway in some project rather than just on the weekends. And my partners finally agreed to let me do it. But the pay cut that I took was a lot more than the few extra hours that I got for writing. And then those few extra hours, I never really got them because I'd be called for this or that. Locums completely erases that problem. For everyone, this is one of the reasons why I wanted to bring on someone talking about locums and really actually a couple shows to talk about locums is one of the number one things that we hear, especially with our, our Friday health assessment shows is the concept of fire or that financial independence retire early. I've always viewed locums as being able to hit the FI part, the financial independence. And if you decide to retire early, you could potentially use locums to sustain some of the income without having to really live off of your nest egg. You don't even need such a large nest egg because you're not going to live off of it. You're going to be earning some income. Whether you can live off all the income or not is depending on obviously how much you work and all the great things that Andrew's talking about. But that is kind of how I want to keep introducing new ideas to you, uh, to all of you listening, 
because most of you kind of think there's only one path and there's truly so many different paths out there that you could take or supplement to hit some financial goals or just other personal goals like Andrew's goal with work-life balance. And I, I really appreciate that story, Andrew, because it shows that there's you're able to even potentially make a few mistakes along the way and still recover and still have a great life and love what you do and even work in a very special way with your specialty and, and truly the work that you love doing. So as we round this out, Andrew, where can everyone hear about you? I know I mentioned your book, The Locum Life, A Physician's Guide to Locum Tenens, but where else can they find and hear about you and follow you and all the great stuff you're doing? Well, I've tried to become a little more sophisticated with uh, social media. I now have a website where everything is centered, and that's andrewwilner.com. Just my name, andrewwilner.com. And there's information about the book there. I have a, a pretty regular blog. I also post on Facebook and and I tweet pretty regularly. If you're a Twitter fan, that's Dr. Wilner at Dr. Wilner, Dr. Wilner. But uh, my website is really andrewwilner.com. That's the place to go. And I'll also mention if you have a, you know, a personal situation or question and you'd like to send me uh, an email, please do. And you can reach me through my website and I'll do the, my very best to uh, give a helpful uh, answer. <laughs> oh, that's, that's really nice of you. And, and we can actually make it a little bit easier. So I'll make sure that you're in our Facebook community that we have, which if you listening haven't joined us yet, please do financialresidency.com slash community, but I'll make sure Andrew gets in. And if you want to tag him in a post as you have questions with locums, you heard it right there. He's willing to uh, maybe drop in a couple lines of uh, wisdom for us. So Andrew, thank you so much for being on the show. It was a pleasure talking with you. Ryan, thank you. I enjoyed it. Well, it is time for our recap, and there are three amazing takeaways I'd love for you to walk away with. Takeaway number one, Andrew knew that something had to give when it came to living a life he wanted. So upon discovery of locums, he figured this would be a great way to get it going on the trajectory that he wanted. Ultimately, I discovered that I could continue my, my dedication and passion for neurology but it didn't have to be in a traditional office setting that there was this thing called locum tenens where you could work a week or a month or six months or even a year without the unstated expectation that you're always going to be there. Takeaway number two, feeling the effects of lifestyle inflation can be one reason why someone would be hesitant to pursue locums, but Andrew shares that making an adequate income is about how much you want to work. You're paid on an hourly wage. You can earn kind of as much as you want to earn depending on how much you want to work. And last but definitely not least, takeaway number three, one of the reasons why I wanted to bring Andrew on the show to talk about locums is for the same reason some of you are interested in financial independence. Locums is a great way to help you get to FI without relying on your nest egg. So here's a bit from Andrew about it. You retire, everybody's happy, you did your thing and you're respected at that job, but now you wanna work six months a year like I did, or you wanna be in Florida you know, in the winter with your grandkids or whatever it is you wanna do, 
but you want to continue to contribute as a physician. As always, we have to do our disclaimer, but it is so important. So please don't skip or end the episode because I've got to let you know about reasons why you shouldn't take what you learn here at face value. I know it's great and I love giving you all this perspective and talking and nerding out on personal finance, but it can't be specific because we don't have your data in front of us. And even if it is in front of us, like on our Friday financial health assessments, I still only know what is recorded and it's definitely not everything. So please don't go run out with what you learned here and put a ton of stuff into motion without consulting your CPA, your attorney, or a fee-only financial planner. All right, everyone. Well, I hope you have a great week. Excited for all the things that are coming up. I'll see you guys on Wednesday.